Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'm on. Good morning. Um, I just love Sierra. Um, we're not related, <laughs> for those of you who are new. Uh, uh, so, uh, my name is Kevin Jackson. I'm an elder here at Windsor Road Christian Church. And uh, our senior pastor, Randy, he's on study break, and he does that um, once a year. And in his absence, what we've been doing is we've been talking about um, uh, James's letter. And uh, two weeks ago, uh, Jason Weatherholt, uh, our family life minister, talked about um, faith and how faith impacts how we live, you know, that we should live in a way in accordance with our faith. And then last Sunday, I missed it, and so I'm very disappointed about that, but Justin Craig, our children's uh, director, um, he spoke about how we should speak in a way that's consistent with our faith. Uh, this morning, I am going to be talking about um, how we act in a way that's consistent with our faith, acting out our faith. Right? But before we get started, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for this day, God. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to spend with you, spend with each other. You are a holy God and a mighty God, a powerful God, a worthy God. Father, I, I know that there are some here that have come this morning with, with pains and agonies and challenges. And I pray this morning that we, will, that we will be able to set that aside to hear what you have to say. And as you set, uh, as we all set those other things aside, I pray, Lord, that you would just set me aside, Lord, that you would help me to get out of the way, that your message is clear. Again, bless our time. May the Holy Spirit open our hearts that we might hear. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, got my clicker. So I'm in good shape. Um, uh, we're talking about James. We're talking about acting in faith. And our focal passage this morning comes from uh, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Um, before I read that, and I, and I want us, if you uh, can look for that uh, in your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible to call your own, there should be Bibles in the seat pouches in front of you somewhere nearby. Uh, you would take it out. Uh, that passage can be found on page 1012. Um, so if you want to get that out. Um, but as you uh, find that passage, what I wanted to do was to just give you a sense about what, what I mean by acting, acting out faith or being consistent with your faith. Um, a couple of months ago, um, you know, I, have, I have three kids, right? I have three children. And we all know, those of us who have children, sometimes those children can drive you crazy, right? God love them, but sometimes uh, they do things and you go, what? Um, and about two months ago, 
uh, my son, my loving son, who was, for whatever reason, decided to come this morning, right, <laughs> join us, uh, he did something that drove me crazy. And he pushed, a, he pushed a button, and as any warm-blooded American would do, I pushed a button back. And I said some things that were hurtful, and I know they were hurtful. And I agonized over that. I mean, I, I let it out, and, um, and I knew it would hurt him. And um, I agonized over that. After, you know, it was hours afterwards, and I was thinking, golly, why did I say that? But then I rationalized. I said, look, you know, he's a kid. He'll get over it. He knows I care, you know. Or, uh, you know, he deserves to be hurt, you know, a little hurt, a little pain. Um, but God, that whole time, was digging at me, saying, come on now. Who are you kidding? Who are you kidding, Kevin? And, uh, and so what God was pushing me to do was to apologize to my 12-year-old. And I was resistant. And I said, I'm not going to do that. I mean, he gets it. He'll get over it. He's young. He's strong, you know. Um, and it wasn't until late that night where I finally gave in and said, I'm going I'm to go in there and, and apologize. So I went to his room, and he was asleep. <laughs> right? So I did my thing. I, I, I had my intentions, and so I felt pretty good that, okay, God, you... I followed through. I, I was going to go in there and tell him. Uh, but God kept digging at me. And so, um, so that night I wrote a letter, you know, trying to explain. Again, this is really early to be getting emotional in a sermon. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I usually don't sit through the music. The music really gets me in an emotional uh, mindset. But... Um, but I wrote a letter and I apologized, um, saying I'm sorry and trying to be encouraging. But I was acting in faith. Uh, I was, and we can call it being obedient. Um, and so when I talk about acting in faith, sometimes it's a big thing. Sometimes it's God has called you to change your career or uproot your family and leave. Uh, and sometimes it's a small thing like apologizing when you really don't feel like it, right? That's what it means by acting in faith, following what God would have you do. All right, so let's read this passage from James, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have... So you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? All right. Uh, what I would ask you to do now is don't close your Bible, right? Because we're going to be turning back to this uh, passage, or at least this area, from time to time. So, um, so keep your place there. Um, so what I wanted to do, what I proposed to do, is to think about um, this idea of faith and how it connects to how we act. And I wanted to do that by having a framework, use a, using a framework that really consists of three questions that I want to answer. Uh, and I'm going to try to use James to help us help us answer these three questions. Uh, first is, what is faith? Uh, what is faith? The second question is, what prevents us from showing uh, our faith in our actions? And the third question is, how do we align our actions with our faith? How do we go about doing that? Now, the first question, what is faith? Um, and perhaps a, a better way to ask the question is, what is biblical faith? Because I think we all have some intuition about what faith is. But what I want to do is to make sure that we're calibrated, that we're all on the same page on this word faith. And it'll become important as we hear about what James has to say, that we have an understanding of what faith is. It's a, faith, it's a word that we all are familiar with. We, anytime you come to church, you're liable to hear the word faith. Um, but I think sometimes, because we hear it so often, uh, we, we don't really think about what it is. What is faith? Right? So that's what we're going to start. Um, I like what Sierra had to say in her presentation because kind of a, a big umbrella way to think about faith and the, a definition of faith is to think of it as in what or whom do we entrust our lives. Right? That's kind of a big umbrella way to think about it. But in order to understand where James is coming from, I think we need to think about it a little bit more. I don't want to say deeply, but take it apart a little bit, what we mean by faith. So I think it's common for us to think of faith as belief, as belief. I think as we go about our day-to-day -day when people use the word faith, uh, I think that's what it conjures up, this idea of belief. And in fact, I think James um, uses this characterization of faith a bit in his letter. So if we look um, in the first chapter of James, um, if we look at verse 6, uh, James says, but let, him who asks, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. He's contrasting faith with doubting, which... The implication being that, okay, so this faith sounds like he's characterizing that as belief, okay? So this is where James is coming from. And then if we look in chapter 2 
and I have 219, but we can start at 217. Uh, and this sometimes has, has been seen as a controversial passage here um, because it seems to uh, suggest something that maybe Paul would not sign off on. But if we think about how is James characterizing the word faith, then it helps us out. So in chapter 2, verse uh, 17, so uh, James says, so, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Okay? Um, but then if we look at verse 19, he makes a point to say, uh, you believe that God is one, you, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So there's two points I want to make here. One point is that, um, boy, this makes a lot of sense if we think of James characterizing faith as belief. Um, and two, belief isn't enough. Um, what he's saying is, is that if we think about faith purely as belief, um, then there's something missing. Okay? So what is it that's missing? Well, an- another logical place to go, another intuitive place to go, is this idea of trust. Um, you know, do you trust God? Um, do you trust this or do you trust that? That's another logical place to go. My only concern with kind of thinking or restricting biblical faith to be just belief and trust uh, is that I can think of ways in which it can be applied that has nothing to do with biblical things. For example, if I think about gravity, uh, I believe in it and I trust in it, right? Otherwise, I wouldn't do jumping jacks or I wouldn't play basketball. Um, But there's some element missing when I think of gravity compared to biblical faith. So what's this third piece? Um, Well, this third piece, and I think we'll have a sense for it, but I also think it's a piece that maybe we as believers undervalue. The third piece is something called allegiance. Allegiance. It's relational. Allegiance has to do with choosing. I choose to follow. Who do I choose to follow? What team do I choose to be on? I have to choose what team I'm going to be on. Where am I going to pledge my allegiance? Who am I going to call my king? That's biblical faith, right? So this kind of component of allegiance becomes very important for us when we think about what James is going to have to say about acting in faith, okay? All right, Uh, second question. Second question. Uh, What prevents us from showing our faith in our actions? Uh, In other words, what are some obstacles? What are some obstacles to acting out faith? Acting out our faith. And logic dictates that it's going to, in large part, follow along with what faith consists of. So um, uh, one obstacle would be a deficiency in belief. Um, And that's often caused by us being unsure about who God is. So we have a deficiency in belief, which makes it more difficult for us to act in faith. Well, what's the remedy for that? Well, the remedy for that is is knowledge. Um, And that's why it's so important um, to study God's Word. In fact, if you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, make sure that you take this seat pouch Bible, write your name in it, and, and call it your own. Right? Because uh, this knowledge that we gain from studying God's word can be a remedy to disbelief. 
Now, um, I want to make a subtle point here. I think it's important, but I want to make a subtle point. When I think about knowledge, um, what I don't mean is that we study God's Word strictly from an intellectual perspective. You know, to be able to debate somebody, right? Or to be able to pull out verses. Um, uh, Those things can be helpful, but really the point of studying God's Word is so that we know God better. That's the point. That's the purpose. And as we read God's Word, that should be our goal. That's what we should be directed towards, okay? Uh, Second uh, second, uh, obstacle, uh, deficiency in trust, which is often caused by our own skepticism um, about God knowing best for us, or God really caring for us. We're skeptical. Even if God, if we believe in God, we still could have some skepticism about whether this God is personal. Personal, a God that, that really cares. And this is not a new phenomenon. I, I think it's something that we share, but we can look in the Old Testament and see this deficiency of trust causing problems. If you think about uh, the Israelites wandering in the desert, right? They, they're looking for, for food to eat, something to drink. And they say, well, we can't trust God. We'd be better off if we went back to Egypt, right? They, they've lost their trust. They have this deficiency in trust. They're skeptical that they're going to be cared for, that God is going to do what's best for them. Um, well, the remedy in the Old Testament tends to be uh, to remember remember. Remember what? Well, for the Israelites, it's to remember that God has delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. He's delivered them. And as we struggle from time to time with trust, we can also remember uh, because we've also been delivered. We We were slaves to sin, and God delivered us from that. And there are other things that have happened in our lives where God has demonstrated that he cares for us if we'll only remember. All right, the third obstacle, um, the third obstacle for acting out our faith is the obstacle that I think James is going to to really hang his hat on, and that is the idea of something called split allegiance. Split allegiance. Um, What that means is that we're choosing Christ, we're placing our allegiance in Christ, but we also want to put our allegiance in something else too, right? So it's pledging our allegiance to Christ, but not Christ alone. We want to split that allegiance. We want to say, I'll I'll be on God's team, but I also want to be on another team. I want to split my allegiance. And we see this play out Um, as we look in James chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, where James just comes strong, right? He comes right out with it. He says, you adulterous people, um, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. 
Right? So you adulterous people, and here's a good time to remind you of who the audience of James's letter is. James's audience are believers. These are his brothers in Christ that he's writing a letter to. These aren't non-believers. These aren't heathens. These are his brothers in Christ, and he's calling them adulterous people. What does he mean by that? Well, what do we mean by that? When we think about an adulterous person today, we're thinking of someone who has a commitment, an allegiance to a spouse, one spouse, and they've decided to split their allegiance. They said, I have this allegiance with my spouse, an allegiance of intimacy, an allegiance of joint purpose, and I am going to split that with someone else. I've split my allegiance. Well, this is what James is talking about with respect to the believers, his audience. He's saying, you have an allegiance to God, but you're splitting it. You're not, you're not staying true. You haven't pledged your allegiance fully to Christ because you're pledging your allegiance to something else in addition to Christ. So what are some of these things? Well, uh, some of these alternatives uh, we see in, in verse uh, 4 of that passage, uh, worldly possessions. Well, one of the things that it, it appears that's going on is that, is that the audience of James's letter is splitting their allegiance between God and those things, those desires of their own heart. They're following the world. And James makes a point of saying that's not going to work. That's not going to pass because if you are going to pledge your allegiance to the world, that's diametrically opposed to pledging your allegiance to God. They can't coexist. You have to choose your allegiance. You can't split it. You have to choose it. Uh, the other thing, if I read this passage, another alternative allegiance that seems to be kind of going on in the, in the background here, um, and I'm looking at uh, verse 11, where he talks about, do not speak evil against one another, brothers, uh, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Um, let me give you some, some thoughts about what, what James is referring to. One is, if you look at the NIV version, it's, it, it references slander. So this is not just, uh, you know, talking to your spouse about someone that you think has done something wrong or you think badly of them. No, this is spreading the word, slandering them right? Publicly, hey, you know, this guy did, you know what this guy's about, blah, 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 blah. The other key interpretation here is when he talks about judging, uh, we see earlier in James's letter that when he talks about judging, what he's talking about is favoritism. You know, you have someone who's a big wig and someone who's a small wig, right? And you invite the big wig over to your house, in the small wig, you forget that you had their number, right? You pretend like you didn't hear them when they waved, that you didn't see them when they waved to you across the room, you go, right? It's showing favoritism. Um, in both instances, in both instances, it appears as though what the goal is is to protect your own reputation. 
if I can make someone feel worse or look worse in the eyes of those around, I can make myself look better. I can have a better reputation. If I can pick, if I go about picking who I want to bring into my circle, right, and I, and I pick based upon their big wigness, right, well, that suggests that I'm trying to manage my reputation. That's something that I am pledging my allegiance to. And I, I just, we see this, you know, I, I talk about worldly possessions. James talks about worldly possessions. That one is obvious. I think all of us see that um, uh, that, that is a struggle, right, to, to have an allegiance to God and not try to split that allegiance with worldly possessions. I think that is a struggle for just about everybody, right? But I think reputation is a bit more subtle. It's something that we may not think about or um, we may even kind of ignore. And for me, as an academic, I mean, my world is about my reputation, right? Um, if I go up for tenure, uh, they're going to send out letters. They're going to ask people to write really nice things about me to determine what my reputation is, right? So it's so it is important for me uh, to have the right reputation, um, but it's risky that I would then pledge allegiance to that reputation. So I'm going to give you a test, right, a question you can ask yourself to be discerning about whether or not that's an issue for you. And the question is, can you take joy in other people's victories? Can you take joy in other people's victories? If you have a coworker or a colleague and they land the big account, can you take joy in that? If you have a ministry and one of your fellow ministers, their ministry seems to be taken off, can you take joy in that? If you can't take joy in others' victories, Think about whether or not you've pledged your allegiance to your own reputation. All right. Uh, Third question. How do we align our actions with our faith? In other words, um, how do we avoid splitting our allegiance? How do we avoid that? I got bad news for you. It involves a word that we don't like, right? And that word is submit. Submit. Um, And James says this in in chapter 4, verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7, he says, uh, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Uh, Submit. Submit wholly to God. In other words, the mistress has to go. Whatever that thing is that you have, that we have, split our allegiance with, we got to let it go. We have to pledge our sole allegiance to Christ. Now, what does that look like? Well, um, I thought about this, our submission through allegiance. 
Um, I'm going to ask the worship team to, to come forward, and uh, as I provide you with a, a short illustration of, of what this means, right? what does this mean? Well, um, uh, about a month ago, uh, my family and I uh, took a trip to Texas. Uh, we're, my wife and I are from Texas, and so we, from time to time, like going in the minivan. Got to go in the minivan and, and head out to Texas. Uh, this trip, we actually uh, went to Houston. We visited my brother-in-law in Houston, Texas. And uh, he has a family. He has two boys. They're, the ages of the boys are around the ages of my daughters. And, uh, okay, so you're in, you're in Houston, Texas. It's uh, late June, early July. Uh, so what do you do during the day when you're in Houston, Texas, late June, early July? I tell you what you don't do. You don't do something outside, right? Because um, it's hot. And so what you do instead is you try to find things that you can do indoors. And so what we decided, we, we'll go to one of these big entertainment complexes. You know, the you know, place you walk in, you have a bowling alley, big arcade uh, type of thing. And um, uh, there was enough of us, uh, we decided that uh, uh, we were going to split up. We are going to do different things. And so there was one group that decided that they wanted to do the rope walk. What's the rope walk? Well, that's where you're suspended above the floor about 20 feet, right? You have a harness, and then you're balancing on a rope. You're kind of walking on a rope across some different uh, obstacles. I wasn't going to do that, okay? Uh, So what do I do instead? Well, uh, those of us who didn't do the rope walk, uh, we, we opted for laser tag. And, um, you know, so there was uh, my brother-in-law and his son and me and my eight-year-old daughter, Hannah. We're going to do laser tag. And I'll be honest, Hannah wasn't feeling it. You know, I, I, I threw out laser tag. We talked about it, and she was like, huh, nah. Uh, but I coached her up. Yeah, you're going to have a great time. Yeah, come on. All right. Uh, so, uh, for those of you who have never kind of done the laser tag thing, uh, the, the typical setup is that there's an outer door. Uh, you walk in through the outer door, and there's a little room where you get geared up. Uh, and then there's an inner door that leads to the battlefield, right, all the course. Um, so we head over to the, uh, to the laser tag. I'm feeling pretty good, right? I used to watch 24, and, you know, I'm... I got Jack Bauer on my mind, like, yeah, this is going to be good. Man, if I just had one of those things where I could radio in, hey, you know, got a, got a bogey on, let me, you know, I just, uh, so I was pretty excited about it. Um, they, you know, we got all dressed up, we had our weapon, we had our vest with the targets on it. They gave us the instructions, right, we're in the little room, it's time to go to the battlefield, and my daughter Hannah is losing her composure, Okay. Why is she losing her composure? Because they open the door to the battlefield, and it's dark. Right? It's dark. Um, we're still hanging out, um, and you could hear, you know, people that already, you know, when they open that door, they rush in, you know, the kids run in there, and so you could already hear them, you know, 
yelling and all this kind of stuff. And so it was, Hannah was like, what? Um, so I look over at Hannah, and she is, she is shaking. She is shaking. I said, what's, what's wrong? I am so scared. And so I get down on my knee, and I said, Hannah, it's going to be good. You're going to be fine. Look, you're going to go in there. No one's going to hurt you. It's not going to be scary. People aren't going to, you know, jump behind the box and yell boogie, boogie, boogie at you. You're going to be fine. Just, you know, just follow me. Stay close to Dad. You'll be good. You'll be good. And so, you know, I finally got her to let me drag her <laughs> into the battlefield. Um, so she's clutching me as I'm trying to watch. And see, the thing is, you need two hands to fire your weapon. And I have Hannah. So what happens? We, we finally get into the battlefield, and we get ambushed. And I got nothing. I can't do anything because I got her here, and I'm, I can't shoot, you know. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so we got hit. We got, you know, our, our score uh, for that round wasn't very high. But here's the point. The point is that uh, as she was there five minutes, ten minutes in, she finally started to get her groove. You know, your eyes start adjusting to the light. She finally starts to get her groove. In fact, she's actually you know, firing away, and, and she's wandering away from me. I'm having to corral her, you know, make sure that she doesn't get lost. I asked her afterwards, you know, so what'd you think? You mean, did you have fun? Yeah, I had fun. Would you do it again? Only if you go. Okay, that's good. Um, but as I was preparing for this sermon, um, what really struck me was that there was a testimony in that. There was a testimony in that. You see, um, Hannah did not believe that that room, that battlefield, was not going to be scary, right? In her heart of hearts, she just knew someone was going to do something that hurt her or scared her to death. She knew that. And frankly, she didn't trust me. I tried to tell her, but she was still terrified. So she wasn't really trusting what I had to say, but she followed anyway. Why did she follow anyway? She followed out of her allegiance to me. She wanted to follow me. She was choosing to follow me. And that's a blessing for us. Because there are those of us in this room who find it very difficult to believe. It's hard to believe. There are those of us in this room that for whatever reason, we find it difficult to trust whether it's our personality, how we were wired, or something that's happened to us in our lives that has made us reluctant to place our trust in anything or anybody. But the good news is you can still choose to follow. With allegiance, you can still choose to follow, despite your disbelief, despite your distrust. You can choose. And so now I think about that event, and I think, you know, there are a lot of times where I wish I was like Hannah. She's kind of a hero. Because when I am scared, when I'm scared to share my faith with a coworker, and I know God is pushing me to do that, whether or not I believe or trust that it's going to turn out in a way that 
makes me feel good, I can still follow. I can still do that. If I am terrified about changing a job, a career, changing my major, because I've always wanted to be this when I grew up, even if I can't see, can't believe that I would do something else, I can still choose to follow out of allegiance. And if I'm just fearful about removing myself from an ungodly relationship, because this might be my last chance, I don't believe I'll be able to meet someone else. I don't trust that. I don't trust that I can be happy without this person in my life. I can still choose to follow out of allegiance to God. So, that's my last message to you is what James would say. And that is, we have to choose. We have to choose Christ. And we have to choose Christ alone. Let's pray.